The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. Do you have the courage to listen, to wait, to be patient while the Holy Spirit speaks to you? Do you have the courage to face not being so strong in what you believe and letting the Holy Spirit kindly speak to your heart and to your mind? The scriptures are full of what seem to be contradictions, saying things that are opposite. It takes time to listen and not make quick judgments. It's so easy to make foolish statements about what I believe is right, only to prove my ignorance and to hurt those around me. I want to share a portion of scripture with you today that seems very opposite. Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you will have, you have no money, but come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples, Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but I will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out, in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed Isaiah 55. Let me quickly go over the contradictions. Verse 1, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Well, wait a minute. It's saying, the Lord is saying, come and buy, buy wine and milk. 
come by and eat. But then it says, without money and without cost. What's he talking about? Well, I believe that Scripture answers Scripture. I can't interpret the Scriptures by my experience. I interpret the Scriptures by the Scriptures. Look at verse 6 and 7. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. We've just been invited to come and buy from the Lord honey, milk, bread. Come and buy without cost. Oh, it says, Now seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thought. Wait a minute. That's the price that Jesus is asking. You can come and you can eat, you can drink. You can have a very luxurious meal with Jesus. But if you're going to do that, the cost to buy that meal will be for the wicked to forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. When I was a boy, we had a lot of, of men back in the, in the late 40s who were called tramps or bums. And they would often come to our front door and knock on the door and ask for a meal. And whoever was home, mom or dad, would say, sit down on the, on the porch, relax, and I'll prepare a meal for you. And they would prepare the meal and they would bring it out on the plates that we ate on and the silverware we used, food and drink, and, and he would have a wonderful meal. And then he would go on his way. My dad was a preacher, a lay preacher. He had a full-time job, but he also pastored. One of the stories that he told many times, and it was interesting to me every time it caught my heart, he told the story about a, a tramp. This tramp was scorned by the school children. They stoned him. He would run from them. He was scorned by the people in town because he was a tramp. He was homeless. He did not work. No one would hire him. He was known as a, a worthless man. One cold winter day, he was hunched over, making his way down the street on the sidewalk, wearing a thin coat, shoes that had holes in them, no socks. It was obvious he was miserable. And suddenly, the wealthiest man in town pulled up beside this tramp. The window went down, and the richest man in town spoke to him very kindly and said, Sir, would you like to come and live in my house? And I'll provide all that you need. Well, the man, the tramp, was astonished. He didn't know what to think. This was such an incredible offer. And so he said, yes. The door was opened and he was welcome to get in. Of course, he stunk. He was a, a dirty man. He'd been on the street. He had not had a bath since summertime. 
They drove, without speaking, up the long, winding drive to the mansion on the hill. They got out. He followed the rich man into the house, and there in the foyer, servants waited. A butler. And he said to the man, Now I want you to follow the directions that my butler will give you. And if you will follow these simple directions and do what he asks you to do, I'll see you for dinner in a short time. And you're welcome. You will have a room of your own. You will have your own clothing. You will have everything you need until we can get you back on your feet. Will you do what my butler asks you to do? Oh, yes. Of course. And so the butler waited while the rich man made his way into the interior of the house. And the butler said, the first thing I need to do is to take your hat and coat. And the man said, what? You want me to take my coat off? This coat has seen me through many, many storms. And this hat, even though dirty, and this hat, even though it has a hole in the brim, it's my hat. I'm not going to take it off. I might not get it back. Well, the butler said, Sir, I have a new coat for you, and I have a new hat for you. And if you can't take that off, I can't give you the new Well, the tramp said, I'm not going to let you have my coat. The butler said, well, sir, I need to prepare a bath for you. In fact, it's already prepared. It's ready upstairs. And I'd like you to come up and and have a bath. What? If I have a bath in the winter, I'll catch the cold that will kill me. I can't take a bath in the winter time. And the butler said, Sir, I have new clothing for you. I have new shoes. I have new socks. I have new pants. And I have a new shirt. I have a new jacket. It's all waiting for you. But the tramp said, Sir, I'm not going to give you my old things. The gentleman stopped and asked me if I'd like to come and live here with him. And I said yes. He didn't say anything about taking off all these old things. Now these are precious things to me. And I can't just take them off and trust that you're going to give me something new. Well, the butler said, sir, the bath is ready. The new clothes are ready. If you'd like to see them, I'll show them to you. Everything is prepared for you, and the, and the master will be waiting to have dinner with you, to tell you about everything else he's going to give you. But if you are unwilling to take off your hat and your shoes and your jacket, if you're unwilling to take a bath and get cleaned up, You can't put on the new things. You've got to be scrubbed. You can't go to the master's table when you stink as badly as... What? You mean I stink? You're insulting me. Sir, if you're unwilling to take a bath and you're unwilling to take off these old things, then you cannot live in this house. For those who live in this house are clean. You'll have to leave, sir, if you are not willing to take off the old things. So the tramp turned and opened the door and walked out into the cold of the winter day. He was unwilling 
to allow the master's butler to take from him his precious old things. Now I listened to this parable when I was a child many times as my dad preached in different places. But the lesson was very clear and dad spoke with me privately about it. And he said to me, Raymond, we can't have what Jesus is offering us until we let go of all the old. And if we're willing to let go of the old, he'll wash us, he'll clean us, he'll give us a bath, and the stench will be removed from us, and he'll clothe us in new clothes. I find it astonishing that many seem to prefer the old, stinky, worldly ways. I talked to a man just recently. He was in a terrible plight. I said to him, Are you sick and tired of this way of life, of drinking and DUIs and unpaid bills? Are you tired of this? Are you willing to let Jesus give you a new life? He answered me by saying, Ray, I'm doing the very best I can do. Are you telling me I'm not doing a good enough job? I said, Do you have to go before the judge? For your DWI? Yes. Are your bills paid? No. Are you tired of the hassle? Yes. Are you tired of it enough that you're willing to give up everything and go to Jesus? If you are, I'll help you go there. He said, I'm, I'm just going to do the best I can do. That's all I can do. I said, then, I can't do anything for you. You're not sick enough yet of your problems, and you're not sick enough yet of your mess. When you get sick enough of it, come back and talk to me. I have a different way for you. But you have to be willing to give up the mess. Well, I have a girlfriend, and I love her. Well, are you going to marry her? Well, I'm not going to rush. So you'll fornicate, though. Well, 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 you know, we love each other. Oh, my brother and sister, do you hear my heart? I want you to come with me and buy and eat the wine and the milk of heaven. But to do that, you have to forsake the old way of life. There is only one way out of this mess that we're in. There's only one way out of this death that we face. And we have to be willing to give up the flesh, the world, and the devil if we're going to make it through the escape hatch that Jesus opened when he died on Calvary for you. Flesh cannot inherit eternal life. Now let me say that so that I can be very clear about what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the old, wicked heart that we all were born with. But I'm talking about more than that. I'm talking about this flesh that covers my hands, my face. This 
flesh is not evil in itself, but it cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Not when Jesus comes again. I'm going to have to be given a new body, a spirit body, more real than this body. I'm going to have to be given a new heart. I'm going to have to be changed, supernaturally given birth to from heaven by the Holy Spirit. This flesh is going to die. I can guarantee you, this flesh, my face, the worms will eat. I will die. Unless by some gift of grace, I'm alive when Jesus comes in glory. And then, in an instant, this flesh will be gone, and I will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, and I will be dressed in an eternal body, to walk with Jesus. So when I say to you, look, there's only one way out, I'm not just talking about only one way out for this wicked heart that we were born with. I'm also talking about this flesh that we live in. Flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. There has to be a change. Now, let's transition. In the New Testament, there are some passages of Scripture that I deeply love that I have spent years meditating on, promises that I have stood on. I'm not going to describe all of the incredibly wonderful experiences I've had regarding answers but we're going to go in pretty deep. Mark 11, I'll begin reading in verse 22. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. And then there's another passage. It's found in the 14th chapter of John. And by the way, I'm just sharing with you too. There are many passages that talk about this. John, the 14th chapter, verse 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, I read these passages many years ago and I said, okay. So I prayed this passage of Scripture. And I spoke to the mountain that was in my life. And I commanded that mountain to be cast into the depths of the sea. And it says, if he does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. I said, okay. I'm going to take that passage at face value and I'm going to pray that prayer. Nothing happened. I said, well, is God a liar? Why is nothing happening? And why don't I experience what John 14 says as my reality? Now, I'm exposing myself here. I'm obviously not there yet. 
but I'm down the road a bit. You may not be there either. In fact, most of you who are listening, I'm quite confident, are not there yet. You pray and, and nothing happens. Well, to begin to understand this passage of Scripture, we have to go to the context. And we have to begin to understand what Jesus' context was as he spoke these words. He didn't just pluck them out of thin air and say them. No, they have context. There's a big word in English. It's called hermeneutics. There are principles that one learns, hermeneutical principles that one learns that when they read the Bible, the Holy Spirit begins to teach. And if you violate those principles, the scriptures will not come alive for you, and you will say, God is a liar. Or you will say, there's something wrong with me, it just doesn't work for me, and you'll go on your way, and you'll live your own life, and you'll make things happen. Like the tramp, you will say, I'm not going to take off my old, dirty, stinky things when I know that I'm going to be left bare naked and cast out into the cold, so I'm not going to give up what I cherish now for a hope of something that would come because as I hang on to my dirty coat and I hang on to my shoes with holes and, and bare through the sole, I'm not going to let go of those things until I have an absolute assurance I'm going to receive something better. I'm not dumb. So most of you have not really received answers to prayer. And so most of you have just prayed foolish, sentimental prayers that really have no meaning because... It's like now I lay me down to sleep. As my dear brothers down in Florida said, oh, we pray for the hungry to be fed in America. Well, that's a very foolish prayer because, well, it just violates the principles of Scripture. Do you know what those principles are? Those are called hermeneutics. So I want to go back and share with you some of the background to this scripture, and we're probably going to spend a great deal of time this week talking about it. Today's broadcast and the ones I'll do this week are for those of you who want to be serious with Jesus and who want to be able to pray and have your prayers answered and have Jesus speak with you. For those who earnestly desire that the Lord God of heaven would answer your prayers. So, I want to take you to a New Testament passage that will set the tone for what we need to begin to understand. The 12th chapter, the book of Romans. Verse 1, therefore I urge you, this is in the Greek, not just a, a gentle touch. This is, look, I'm going to shake you. Wake up. There's something vital here. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Going to church is not your spiritual act of worship. Reading your scriptures, praying, that is not your spiritual act of worship. It's important, but it's not what God's looking for in you. Now, if we want God to answer our prayers, 
We're going to have to know what God is looking for in us and not just listen to people babble on about about what prayer is or isn't. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this age, this world, but be transformed, be literally metamorphosed by the renewing of your mind, by the renovation of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. If you're walking in sin, you will not be able to determine what God's will is. And God will not speak to you. And you can read the scriptures and you can engage in praise and worship on a Sunday morning. You can listen 24 by 7 to Christian radio stations. You're not offering your body as a living sacrifice. You're not offering a spiritual act of worship. So what are we talking about? Well, very specifically, there was an altar of burnt offering at the entrance to the tabernacle in the Old Covenant. The altar of burnt offering is where Paul is saying you have to offer your body on that altar. That means your thoughts, your actions, your money, your time, your energy. You come and offer the very center of your being, your soul and your spirit and your body. And you lay that intentionally in covenant with Jesus and say to him, I am giving you total authority over my life. It is no longer my life. It is now your life. And then you begin to repent over every sin you can imagine you have committed. You renounce it and you lay it on that altar. Now, if you're unwilling to do that, you are saying, I am unwilling to worship the Lord God of heaven. This is the only worship he will find acceptable. It's the only worship that will bring you into the new birth. It's the only worship that will cause you to escape the death that's coming upon you. America cannot be saved until it repents. America is under the judgment of God. And we as his people are under his judgment until that judgment is removed by a spiritual act of worship. The laying down of our life on the altar of burnt offering and becoming living martyrs living martyrs. Now, let's go to context. In Mark 11, Jesus is going into Jerusalem. It's called the triumphal entry. It's days before his crucifixion. He rides the donkey that's never been ridden before is the king. And he comes to the temple. And according to Mark, now there's a different order in Matthew, but let's go by Mark, who was taught by Peter. The people all are shouting and praising God for Jesus. They're shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! Hosanna literally means save us. Set us free. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And they're they're waving palm branches. They're laying their 
their garments on the street for the donkey to walk over as a sign of honor. Well, Jesus enters into Jerusalem and he goes straight to the temple. He sends the disciples back with the donkey. He looks around in the temple, but it's late and all the activities have ceased. The evening offering was made at 3 p.m. Everything has been wrapped up and people are not there waiting for him. And so the scriptures tell us that he left. I'm sure he left brokenhearted. All of Jerusalem should have been waiting for him in the temple. The word had gone out. He was riding in on the donkey. But they weren't waiting for him. So he looks around. Nobody's there. And so he takes his disciples and they walk the short miles to Bethany. And there they stay that night. The next morning, they leave Bethany and they're on their way to the temple. Now, I don't know what happened that Mary or Martha did not feed them breakfast, but they're hungry. Jesus sees a fig tree in the distance. Now, the time of gathering figs was in the spring at Passover. There should have been figs in that tree. Now, it says it was not the time for gathering the figs. No, it wasn't. That was five days later. But certainly there should be early figs available. So Jesus goes to this tree. It's leafed out beautifully. It's a, it's a handsome tree. But as he goes through the branches and the leaves, he can't find even one fig. You see, in, in Israel, winter was the growing season and the spring was the harvest. Jesus is working a parable now. He speaks to this tree and he says, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard what he said. So now he has literally spoken a judgment over this tree that is filled with beautiful foliage, but not one early fig and not one fig to be picked in five days when figs were to be gathered at Passover time. He speaks a judgment. Jesus comes and he enters the temple area and he's overwhelmed in his spirit by the wickedness that he sees being demonstrated on every hand in the temple, in God's house. The zeal of his house, the zeal of the Lord eats him up. He makes a whip and he drives them out. He overturns the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves he wouldn't allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And he said to them, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? It's not a house of merchandise. You've made it a house of thieves, a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law want to kill him for this but they're afraid of him because the whole crowd is amazed and they're excited about this, this new prophet and the, and the teaching that he does. When evening came, they leave the city and they go back. And the next morning as they're walking back into Jerusalem, verse 20, there's the fig tree and it's withered literally from its roots. The leaves are dry and falling off. Everything is over for the life of this tree. 
And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you had cursed has withered. And that's when Jesus speaks, verse 22, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Now he's speaking to his disciples who are following him, who are walking with him. He's not speaking to the leaders of the Jewish nation. He's not leading to the speaking to the casual crowd that would follow him for the bread and the, the loaves and the fish. He's not speaking to those people. He's speaking to his disciples who have left everything to follow him. So immediately, if we want context here, we have to recognize that this promise was not spoken to people who have not given up everything to follow Jesus. Now, I can tell you this, before I gave up everything to follow Jesus, I was a follower, but I'd not given up everything. I still had my dirty hat on and my dirty coat on. I still had holes in my shoe. Oh, I looked good in the flesh, but in the spirit, I was still a tramp, a Christian tramp. A lot of you know what I'm talking about because you're a Christian tramp as well. I took this promise to heart and I set aside an hour a day and began to pray this promise. Now we have a saying at the National Prayer Chapel that we must stand on the promises of God if we want God to answer. But after you stand for a bit on the promise, the promise will come and stand on your head. Why? Because God has an agenda to do something in your heart before he's going to do what your agenda calls for. Always, God is not our servant. We are his servant. And if we want God to do something, that's okay. Pray it. Stand on it. Expect an answer. But there will be no answer until you have allowed God to deal with your heart. Part of what is clear in this passage is if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. That's one of the hermeneutical principles. God is not going to answer your prayer as long as you are cutting off and judging and criticizing another person. God will not answer your prayer. So, I want to get a much deeper context for this passage. And to do that, I want to go to the Old Testament. Now, when we come to the Old Testament, Hosea, one of the minor prophets, I want to read for you chapter 9, and I'll begin with verse 10. This is the Lord speaking. When I found Israel... It was like finding grapes in the desert. And when I saw your fathers, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. Oh, wait. Jesus went to the fig tree for the early fruit, and there was no early fruit on the fig tree. And Jesus passes judgment on that fig tree that's all leaf and no product. But when they came to Baal poor, they consecrated themselves to the shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. Ephraim's glory will fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Even if they rear children, I will bereave them of every one. Woe to them when I turn away from them. 
Some of you falsely believe in unconditional love of God. The ninth chapter, verse 15. Because of all their wickedness in Gilgal, I hated them there. Because of their sinful deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will no longer love them. God stops loving people who walk in sin and rebellion and refuse to take off the dirty coat and the dirty stench of their dirty lives. God hates that. And you can push God only so far. And then he says, okay. I'm done with you. I will no longer love them. All their leaders are rebellious. Ephraim is blighted. Their root is withered. They yield no fruit. Even if they bear children, I will slay their cherished offspring. My God will reject them because they have not obeyed him. They will be wanderers among the nations. Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. As his fruit increased, he built more altars. As his land prospered, he abandoned or adorned his sacred stones. Their heart is deceitful, and now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will demolish their altars. Well, what is the altar? The altar is the church today. We have churches built on every street corner and more going up. But the Lord says, they're blighted. Their root is withered. They don't yield any fruit of righteousness. Instead, they just yield the fruit of intellectualism and tradition and rituals. Emotion. but they do not let go of their dirty coat and their hat. They don't take the bath. They're not born from above. And so they yield no fruit for God. The Lord has read this many times. He knew the Old Testament scriptures Verse 12, chapter 10, verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up your unplowed ground, for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. Righteousness comes as a free gift from Almighty God. It's not done by hard work. It's not done by... By human effort, it comes by grace, but it's real righteousness. He showers righteousness on you, but you have planted wickedness. You have reaped evil. You have eaten the fruit of deception because you have depended on your own strength and your own many warriors. Five minutes, five minutes. This is the context that Jesus has been working out of. To understand this passage, you have to understand the heart of Jesus. He wasn't just speaking this passage in Mark out of thin air. It was coming out of a deep, deep place in the heart of Jesus. Literally in verse 22 of Mark 11 the NIV says, "Has faith in, have faith in God, but that's not what the literal translation is. The literal translation is, have God's faith. It's only God's faith that moves mountains. We enter into Jesus and we enter into the faith of God. It's not by human strength. It's not by conjuring up something. And some of you have tried to conjure up with witchcraft the answers to your prayers. You, you took the picture of the car you wanted and you put it up in the refrigerator and you, you said positive affirmations every day, believing that this means God is going to supply you with that item, whatever it is. 
new house, new car, wife, husband. No. That's witchcraft. You have to enter into the faith of God himself. That is the only door of escape from certain death in this age. If you do not enter into the faith of God and sincere repentance, allowing God to shower his righteousness on your life, allowing now to take the coat off, take my shoes off, put me in the bath, scrub me up, I participate in that by repentance, by confession, by turning from the evil ways. All of that's necessary before this promise will be activated for you or for me. So if this promise is not activated for you, it means you're going to have to go deeper in repentance and confession. You may have to sell all you have. You have to follow what the Sermon on the Mount says you must do. Well, we're going to continue this tomorrow. I have much more I want to share with you about this. All I can tell you now is that these promises of God are the most precious things I hold to as I wait upon my Lord and he orders my steps and directs me in what I'm to do. Lord, I plead right now for your mercy for every person listening. I plead that they would choose life today to let go of the world, the flesh, and the devil and put their trust and their confidence only in you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Now, we've come to the end of the month, and I'm so grateful for the many of you who have contributed that Pilgrim's Progress can stay on the air for the month of November coming up. I still welcome your help. If the Holy Spirit is quickening your heart, then please give. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com and you can give online. Thank you, John, pastor from Ohio, who just gave a wonderful gift. Thank you to the others of you who have done the same. Or you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I love you, my brother and my sister, and I'm speaking this way not because I'm angry. I hope you know that. Or being stern. I want you to walk in Jesus in new garb, in new righteousness, in joy and peace, with a full belly of God's love. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.